welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're with us. Everybody connecting with us online, we're glad that you have found us there. And we want you to know that if you live locally here in the Nashville area and you are ready to get back to church, we want you to come and see us in person. We'd love for you to connect with us at our campuses here. Uh, we are continuing a series today called Be Encouraged. And today's message is finding peace of mind. Doesn't that sound nice just to say the words peace of mind? We all could use a little of that, right? The world's just got so many things going on. But here's the thing. We all would agree, I think, that we would like to have peace of mind. I think all of us want that. Here's the question, though. Are we willing to do the things God tells us to do to have peace of mind? You see, that's where there's sometimes a gap between those two things. There, 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 is, there is this desire for something, but not a willingness to take the steps to get to the place we say we want to be. God's Word gives us clear, easy-to-understand teaching of some steps we need to take if we want to have peace of mind. So today we're going to look at a passage. We're going straight through 2 Corinthians today. We're in chapter 2. If you want to open up your Bibles there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be beginning today with verse 12. I look at several passages here. And Paul is talking about uh, interacting with, with the church at Corinth and how he had planned to be there before and plans changed and all that. But how he had learned to trust God completely and know that God was going to work things out in the best way, even when things didn't go the way that he wanted them to go. You see, that's peace of mind. When you know you can trust God completely, when you know how much he loves you, when you know how he, he has a plan that's better than anything we can plan, there, there's nothing wrong with having a plan, right? In fact, the scripture teaches us to make plans, to prepare for the future, But if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's this. You better make sure with your plan that you have stayed flexible and open to having to make a very quick pivot when things don't go the way you thought they were going to go. I mean, that's true for all of us, not just in a pandemic. But we have a lot less control over things than we think when we make our plans. And so we, it's good to plan, it's good to try to project and, and, and look toward uh, the future and, and the days and the weeks and the years ahead and, and lay out this plan for it, but you have to be flexible enough to know that things might change. But here's how you have peace of mind when you know that, that even if things change, they don't catch God off guard. He knew it ahead of time. He already had prepared in advance a way to bring good even out of the things that we think are interruptions or bad changes that happen in our lives. So let's pick up here, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. He says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So just a little backstory: he's, He was traveling to this area to preach, but he thought he was going to be meeting up with Titus there when he got there, but Titus wasn't able to get there. We don't know all the details. We don't know exactly everything that happened with Titus not being able to be there, but we know it was terribly disappointing for Paul to get there having this plan on how they were going to do things. He probably had this agenda already laid out on what Titus was going to be doing and what he was going to be doing, and now that didn't happen. 
Even though God had opened the door for the gospel there, he couldn't do the plan that he had when he got there. Have you ever had that happen in your life? You, you just think you know how things are going to go. You got this great plan. You think, boy, God's just opening up this door for me. Here's the way it's going to go. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the way I'm going to involve the other. And then something happens. There's a, there's a glitch. There's a setback. There's something that doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And that's what Paul's talking about here, that kind of thing. He said, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But the very next verse, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and, urge, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who's equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So in this brief passage, I think we could see that Paul, in his example, reveals to us four keys to having peace of mind in our lives that Paul had learned, that Paul practiced through these circumstances that he was going through. The first key, I believe, to having peace of mind is developing a grateful heart. Developing a grateful heart. Here's what I know about people who live with gratitude. I don't know anybody that lives consistently in gratitude who is unhappy, ever. I've never met a person who was a truly grateful person who went around miserable in life, ever. It's got to be a key, hasn't it? I mean, I mean, if it makes that much difference where, where you could be happy and you could be at peace, then gratitude is one of those things we need to learn to develop in our lives. But it's not easy. It wasn't easy for Paul. Paul didn't have things go the way he wanted, but he still said, but, but I thank God, right? Even in the middle of that, I still thank God that, that he opened the door of the gospel, that he gave me a chance to preach there and then go on and help out some other people too. Now, he did connect with Titus later on in this journey, and that's great. It didn't happen the way he thought, but it still happened, and God's plan was still at work, and he still was able to see God's hand in it all, and he was grateful that even though things didn't go the way he wanted them to, God still opened up this great door for him to have him, him, uh, a great impact for the cause of Christ in that part of the world. See, what we think are interruptions are oftentimes just God saying, I'm going to shift you over here a little bit because you've got a better opportunity over here than you would have had over there. Especially a better opportunity to be a witness for him and have impact for him in the world. But we miss those things if we don't have gratitude. See, what happens is if we're not grateful people, then every time, every time something changes and doesn't go the way we want it to go, where do we go immediately? Complaining. Griping, oh, woe is me. This is so awful. This is so terrible. Right. It's happened to us more than once. We've been caught in a traffic jam on a trip. We had it timed out. We, we, we were supposed to be there at this time. And you know me. I put it in my GPS, and it says arrival time. And, you know, I look at the arrival time, and my goal is to beat that, right? <laughs> That's always my goal on a trip is to beat the, the suggested arrival time. Because I think, well, they're, they're giving you a little extra there. You could, you could beat that, right? 
But we get stuck in a traffic jam only to find out there was an accident up ahead of us and had we been up there sooner, we could have been in the accident too, right? I mean, there's stuff like that all the time where hindsight, looking back on it, you can connect the dots and see how God's hand was in this stuff that we're complaining about all the time. That he was protecting, he was opening up doors that needed to be opened up or he was closing doors that needed to be closed because there was something better for us. So we need to learn to be grateful for God's hand even in the interruptions, even in the things that don't go the way we want them to go. When you can learn to be grateful for God's hand, then it's easier to have peace of mind when things change on you. Even in a way that you didn't like. Because you're grateful that even though things have changed, God, I know you still got it. I know you still got me. I know you still got the situation in your hands. And I know I can trust you with this situation. So it allows you to have peace even when things aren't going the way you want them to go. I love how he says in verse 14, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul is saying, I'm so grateful because here's what happened. We were able to spread the aroma of Christ even better, even more effectively with the changes that, that God was working in here. It just worked out for the best. You learn to be grateful. And when you're grateful, you can have peace. Because you're not looking at what you don't have and didn't get to do. You're looking at God's hand in your life and God's care and God's provision, even in the middle of those things that you didn't expect. One of my favorite passages, maybe yours too, is in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. It says this, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. And he adds this, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says, when you do that with thanksgiving, he says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's not just saying that praying to God will give you peace. He's saying praying to God with what kind of attitude and approach? With thanksgiving will give you peace. It's not just saying, God, fix this for me. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you're supposed to have peace then, right? No. You've got to go into it with a grateful heart to start with if you want peace. So the first key to having peace of mind is having a grateful heart, a grateful life. The second key, I believe, is to have and develop a sense of significance in your life. A sense of significance. We all, whether we know how to articulate it or not, know exactly how to say it or not, we all have this need deep down to feel like our lives matter. That we, we have worth, we have value, that we are significant people in some way. And because we have that need, Satan tries to use that against us and convince us that what the world says makes you significant is what you need to pursue instead of understanding what God says makes you significant, makes you have worth or value. In the world, what kind of things do they say make you significant in the world? Think about it for a minute. Money, right? I mean, look at how much influence we give people just because they're wealthy. It doesn't matter how they got wealthy. Might have been just dribbling a ball. It might have been, you know, just inheriting some money. It might have been they got lucky in a trade deal or something. You know, however they did it, 
All of a sudden now, because they're rich, if they give public opinion about something, everybody listens to that person. The world gives them significance. Now, quite frankly, they may not be very intelligent. They may not be very wise at all. But because they're rich, we give them significance. Or because they have a certain position of power or influence, right? Politically or, or in the business world or somewhere like that. We give them greater significance from a worldly way of looking at things. But in God's eyes, there's something else that gives us significance. Let's look at it again. Verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are an aroma that brings death. To another an aroma that brings life. Who's equal to such a task? He says. He asks. You know what he's saying? This is the most significant task or purpose anybody can have in the world is that we are charged with representing Christ to the world. What a privilege. What an awesome opportunity and responsibility. When he says the aroma of Christ, this is, uh, he, he's painting a picture that in their culture they would have like, captured in their minds pretty quickly. For us, not quite so much probably. He's talking about this triumphal procession of Christ and, and, and what they would have immediately thought of, the way they did it in their culture was if their people had gone to battle and had won a battle and taken captives, then they would do a processional back into town to celebrate the victory. And they would give glory to God if it was God's people that had had the victory, if it was God's army that had had the victory. Then that processional would be to talk about how great God is, to celebrate God and God giving them this victory and God just blessing them in that way. And part of what would happen is the priests and the Levites would go ahead of the processional with the burning of incense of aroma of prayers to God and praise to God, representing God to the world and God's greatness to the world. He says, friend, you want to know how significant you are? God has chosen you to be in that processional, to represent Christ and to be the aroma of Christ to the people around you. I wonder how many of us with the people that we rub shoulders with regularly, would they say to us, you smell really good? And it wouldn't be Channel 5 that you're wearing. All right. I know it's not Channel. I know it's Chanel. Okay. But do they notice something about you that's sweet, that's beautiful, that's valuable? Something they might miss and want in their own lives. You see, that's what he's calling on us to be in the world. We actually get to represent the King of kings and Lord of lords to everybody around us every day. You cannot have a more significant life assignment than that. And here's what you need to know. When you know you've got a high and holy calling on your life, that you've got this great purpose in life, then it's easier to live with peace of mind because you know you are connected to the one who controls it all. 
the one who made it all, created it all, sustains it all, and can carry us through it all. And you represent him in the world. It's easier to have peace of mind when you know that's who you're representing. So it begins with this grateful heart attitude we need to have. And then it needs to be this sense of significance to what God has called us to, what we need to be doing in life. Recognize the task is important and God has trusted us with this task. The third thing that we need to develop to have peace of mind is to live with pure motives in our lives. To live with pure motives. Let's look at this verse again, verse 17. He says this. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Even before the church started, even during Old Testament times, but now that Christianity has started, people started seeing, all right, there's this great movement and lots of people are coming to it. And there were these people who decided they could use this to their own advantage. There were these teachers and leaders who thought, I can do this and make a lot of money off the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. And the motive for getting involved in the preaching and the teaching wasn't to bring people to Jesus. It was to get from them what they could get from them. It was to get money, fame, wealth, power over them, they were using it and abusing it for their own selfishness. And Paul is able to say, you need to understand, and it's clear if you examine the evidence, that we, we're not doing this to peddle the gospel to get money, to, to, to swindle you in some way, to get, more out, get something out of you for ourselves. You have to go back and realize, uh, in order to catch this fully, that Paul and the other apostles actually gave up way more than they ever gained materially to follow Jesus and represent him in the world. They all had businesses. They all had influence. They all had homes. They all had these things that they gave up to go out and represent Christ and proclaim the good news of the gospel. All of them did. And so if you really looked at the evidence, even though they might be accused of doing it for the wrong motives, if people really examined how they had done this and the, the method they were using and how, how they were sacrificing to do what they were doing, it became obvious that they were not doing it as if they were peddling the gospel for their own personal gain. And so it gave more credibility to them. And here's the thing. When you have a pure motive, if you're doing things that you're doing for the right reasons, then it's easier to have peace of mind. Uh, have any of you, do you ever feel like, do you feel like today maybe somewhere along the way, whether you're at Smyrna Campus Online, right here at Antioch, have you ever felt like somebody swindled you in your history, in your past? That they, 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 they took advantage of you? I've had somebody do that to me. That's not a good feeling, is it? It's not a good feeling. But, but, I still see it happening all the time, don't you? People that are being dishonest to get something for themselves. Um, I want you to have good hearts and be generous people, but God also calls us to be good stewards, right? And to be discerning and wise. So just because somebody asks you for help 
or standing on a court or holding a sign saying they need help, does that mean they're being honest or legit? No, of course not. And, and you can't always know that. Now, I'm not saying you have to be able to determine that before you're generous. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to know that some people are using those things in a bad way to get you to give them something, whether it's somebody on the street corner or somebody in business or whatever, they are being deceptive to get something out of you. I would much rather, like the guy I've seen over here several times, just say, I'm not lying, I just need money for beer, right? At least he's being honest about what he's doing out there, okay? I'd rather they be honest. Wouldn't you rather people be honest with you, dealing with you, right? Because here's the thing, when you're being deceptive, I've said this many times, uh, I get calls all the time, you know, scam calls, you get them too, spam and scam, where they're trying to get you to give them money. You know, just send us your bank account number, we've got uh, you know, $5 million we're gonna send over there from the prince over and wherever, you know. Right? You get those things all the time. Well, here's the thing, if they put that same work and ingenuity and effort into something legitimate, they wouldn't have to be looking over their shoulder all the time. They wouldn't have to be worried about getting found out. You know, everybody that's trying to pull a scam, they're constantly having to look over their shoulders and protect and keep themselves from being discovered that they're lying and cheating people. What a way to live your life, always having to worry about being found out. You can't have peace of mind that way. But if you just be sincere, Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the word translated sincere. It means no wax. It means they, they, they don't have anything they're covering up there, right? So if you're not trying to cover up stuff in your life, can you have more peace in your life when you're not always trying to cover things up? Absolutely. That's why having a relationship with Jesus is so great. Do you have to cover up anything with Jesus? No. There are two good reasons for that. One is you can't cover it up from Jesus to start with, all right? He already knows it. But the better reason is Jesus takes that and forgives it and removes it. You don't have to live your life trying to cover it up. You can be forgiven for it. So it's a much better way to live with peace of mind where you're not always feeling the guilt of deception and feeling the, the need to hide and protect so you don't get found out. You don't, found out. You don't have to live like that. You can have greater peace of mind when you have pure motives for what you're doing. And so Paul is saying, we've been doing what we've been doing here with pure motives. We've been sincere the whole time. And therefore, I can be thanking God and be at peace with what's going on because I know the sincerity of what we're doing. Well, the last thing, characteristic we need to develop to have peace of mind is such an amazing thing that we have only in Christ. And here's what it is. A sure destiny that you can be happy about. A sure destiny that you can be happy about. Look at verse 14 again. Maybe you didn't catch it the first time. Let's go back to it. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives and Christ, what kind of procession is it he's leading us in? Triumphal procession. And uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. A triumphal procession means the victory's already been won. There's no question about it. You don't have the procession until you've done what? Won the victory. 
That's the only time you have the procession. But he's saying in the present tense, he's already leading us in a triumphal procession. So what has already happened then? The victory's already been won. <laughs> it's not in doubt at all. I mean, there are a lot of things we do in life where the outcome is in doubt, right? We don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. We don't know how it's going to work out. Can you have good peace of mind when you don't know? That's hard, isn't it? But when you know in advance, it's already been won. It's already been accomplished. It's already secured in Christ. Then you can have greater peace of mind living your life every day. I... Uh, I don't claim to be the greatest scholar in the world, but I have read the end of the book and I know how it all turns out. Don't you? I mean, you can have different interpretations of Revelation. It doesn't matter which one you have. In the end, who wins? God wins in Christ. And those in Christ win with Christ and through Christ. We win. And so we can live life knowing this is so temporary. This is so uh, minute even compared to the eternal victory in life we have reserved for us in Christ. But, but it's not just we have the assurance of what's going to come now. Here's the thing. We can live with that assurance today, right now. We don't have to wait till Christ comes back to experience that or till we die to experience that. We can live right now. People, you need to understand Eternal life doesn't start then. In Christ, it starts now. You already have eternal life in Christ. This is not something you're waiting for. This is something already secured, already accomplished in Jesus Christ. So you can put up with some stuff, can't you? You, you, you can put up with some junk in your life. You can get through some hard things, can't you? When you know already the victory is already there. It's already yours to claim. Would that cut down a little bit on complaining? Would that cut a little bit down on your worry? A little bit, you know, cut down on that? You're fretting about everything when you already know in advance. Right now you're living in the victory that Christ has won for you for all eternity. Don't you want to live life like that? Don't you want to be able to walk every day and that knowledge, that joy, that security? Man, I wish everybody could walk and live in the light of the victory of Jesus in their lives. But here's the thing. The victory is right there for the claiming, but you still have to claim it. You still have to claim it through Christ. You can't claim it any other way. The scripture is clear on that. The scriptures say there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we could be saved but the name of Jesus. He's the only name where you can claim this victory. The only person who can give you this assurance, this security in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, uh, Romans chapter 8 is one of the most powerful chapters. And I'll, I say that about so many verses, right? One of the most powerful sections of scripture, right? Romans chapter 8. And, and in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, He's been talking about all the things that God's people have gone through and how we can have victory over those things and all that. But then he gets into verse 31 and he starts saying these things. Listen to his words. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you catch what he's saying here? He's saying if, if God 
the creator, sustainer of all things, the most powerful being that exists, if he's for you, who could ever successfully stand up against you? Is there anybody who could stand up against God and win? Is there any circumstance that could stand up against God and have victory over God? No. So he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to what he says. Here's how you can know this, all right? How you can have confidence in this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You're thinking, oh, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know. I, I just, I, I can't do it. I need this, and I need that, and I need that. Do you think you can count on God to give you what you need? He says, here's how you can know you can count on God. He graciously gave up his own son for you. That, that's how willing he is to give you what you need. If he would do that for you, is there anything greater than that you could ask of God than the giving of his own son for you? No. Does that mean God's just going to hand you everything you ask for? No. That's not what it means. I mean, God will not ever withhold from you anything you need. And he knows better than us what that is. Okay? He knows better than us, so we have to trust him, but we know we can trust him because he graciously gave up his son for us, right? He'll graciously give us all things. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? You know what Satan likes to do? He loves to condemn. He loves to whisper in your ear and condemn you and make you feel bad and defeated. He wants you to give up. He wants you to quit. He wants you to not reach the end in Christ because he knows that's where the victory is and he doesn't want you to have that. So he's constantly trying to condemn you and make you feel like you failed and you're unworthy and, and you can't be God's child and he'll not ever really love you or care for you. He's just whispering all those things about how worthless you are into your ears day after day after day. And if you're not careful, he's going to deceive you into not recognizing the fact that God has already demonstrated his love for you when he sent his son here to die for you and that he's graciously been providing for you this whole time and he will always be there for you. He says, who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So, so here's what I want you to grasp, okay? Eternal life and the, va the value and the benefits of eternal life is not something that only happens after we get off this earth. Right now, Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you if you are in Christ. He is interceding for you right now at the throne of God every day on your behalf. You don't have to wait for this. It's there now. Does that give you a little more peace of mind to know that Christ is at the throne of God interceding for you? He's speaking out for you, defending you, supporting you, providing for you right now. So he goes on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble. I love that. Look at this list, okay? Anything you're worried about now that's, that's disturbing your peace right now, think about that list and see if we can't check it off here. Okay, listen to it, all right? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he said, no, listen, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here, here's another list. Listen to what he says, all right? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future or any powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you get your list checked off there? Anything that's disturbing your peace of mind right now? He covered it all, didn't he? Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. No mistake you ever made, no problem you encounter, no enemy coming up against you, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ, nothing. It's the most secure place you could be, in the arms of a loving God. Now, nothing out there can separate you from the love of Christ. There's only one thing that can keep you from the love of Christ. You know what that is? It's you. It's you deciding to reject it. That's the only thing that can keep you from the love of Christ. People love to accuse God of, you know, how can he be a loving God and still send people to hell? And those, you know, you hear those arguments all the time. Here's what you need to know about God. It is not God's will that any should perish. The scripture is clear on that. His will is for you to come to know Jesus and his love for you and the price he's paid for your sins on the cross. That's what God's will is for you. But you are not ever going to have God force that on you. You have to choose to accept God's offer of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, Father, today we've been reminded of these four things we need to have in our lives to have peace of mind that we see lived out in Paul's life so that he can live with that peace and serve you with that peace. But Father, I know there are people hearing this message today who are not at peace right now. And, and I know they want it, Father. I know they desire peace. We all do. Help them, Father, to be prompted by your spirit and your word, to take the steps they need to take. Maybe it's just that they need to realize they can trust you. Maybe it's, it's, it's that step of knowing that, that Jesus really did die for them on the cross and, and that's how much you love them and they could trust you and your love for them. Maybe it's just they've never yet made that decision to accept your offer of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And if that's the case today, Father, I pray that they would not live one more day of their lives without accepting your offer and making peace with you because peace of mind in this earth and all, all for eternity totally relies on the provision of Jesus Christ for our sins. Father, I pray that if anyone needs to make that choice today, this would be the day that they come to know your peace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.